if you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22. Last week we learned about laws that dealt with personal property. And we learned that if we cause someone's property to become lost or stolen, or if we get caught stealing, we must make restitution. And I had some good discussions about that last Sunday night. But this week we're going to learn about the purpose behind the giving of the laws. We're going to look at some of the laws that they gave, and then we'll kind of look at some of the purposes behind them as we look at further study at the Book of the Covenant. If you would, follow along as I just read this week's text in Exodus 22, beginning verse 16. It says, If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged and he has sexual relations with her, he must certainly pay the bridal price for her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must pay an amount in silver equal to the bridal price for virgins. He must not allow a sorceress to live. Whoever has sexual intercourse with an animal must be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any gods except the Lord alone is to be set apart for destruction. You must not exploit a foreign resident or oppress him since you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, they will not doubt cry to me, and I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will burn, and I will kill you with a sword. Then your wives will be widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to to my people, to poor person among to the poor person among you, you must not be like the money lender to him. You must not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as collateral, return it to him before sunset, for it is the only covering. It is the clothing for his body. What will he sleep in? And if he cries out to me, I will listen because I am compassionate. You must not blaspheme God or curse a leader among your people. You must not hold back your offerings from your harvest of your vats. Give me from your firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and with your flock. Let them stay with the mothers for seven days, but the eighth day you are to give them to me. Be my holy people. You must not eat the meat of mild animal found in the field. Throw it to the dogs. Lots of rules here that were found in the Book of the Covenant. Sometimes as kids and adults we wonder... Uh, why there are so many laws and rules. I mean, I think some laws have their purpose, and rules have their purpose. I'm not sure about all of them. Like, why can't we go 90 mile an hour? I mean, come on. No, I'm just kidding you there. They have their purpose. And we wonder, why are they there sometimes? We go uh, to school during orientation, and we're given all the rules. You have the driver's license, and you're given the rules of what you can and cannot do on the road and what you're expected to follow. And you ask yourself questions like, will I ever get away from all these rules and laws? Nope. Um, it seems like no matter where you are in life, there is always going to be someone over you, somebody that has authority, something, someone that God has given to place restrictions upon you. And then you read in the Bible of more laws that the nation of Israel was to follow, and you wonder why were there so many laws given? Was God just trying to frustrate people? Was God trying to anger the nation of Israel by dictating how they should live? Or is there another purpose for the laws that he gave? Well, I believe there is another purpose for existence of these rules. And not only are they given for our good and protection and so that we might know what is expected of us, they are given to us that we might understand the heart, mind, and character of God. 
one who gave us the rules and laws to follow. God's laws also guide us into holiness and godliness. So as we study this next passage of Scripture, God begins to teach us more about His character. And by fully obeying His laws, we are able to be more conformed to the image of His Son. So as we move forward in this text of Scripture, we're going to see several new laws that were given to the nation of Israel to follow. And the first one, uh, you kind of think, well, why did they touch this? Well, we're going to find out in just a moment. But there are laws basically concerning premarital sex. And we find this in verses 16 and 17. So in verse 16, it says, If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged, and he has sexual relations with her, he must certainly pay the bridal price for her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must pay an amount in silver equal to the bridal price for virgins. The law was very stern law, wasn't it? The law was focused primarily on the man, and notice that's where the responsibility is to be, on the man. The man is the one who is to be the leader in a relationship, and as we say often, the buck stops there. Guys are to be the leaders in a God-given relationship. But this law was focus primarily on the man. And notice the verse once again. If a man seduces a woman. And the word seduces here is in this text stems from what the man had, had done. Past tense. However, the idea in this text carries the idea that not only did the man persuade the woman, she consented willingly. She was receptive to his seduction. In the language here. But there was consequence here. And understand here, this is not a rape situation. This is not where a man forced himself upon a woman. If, he had, if it had been such a situation, the man had been caught, he would certainly face death according to Deuteronomy chapter 22 and 25. The bottom line is, if he were to do that unwillingly and she would not consent, he faced death. Period. No questions asked. Uh, this is an incredible concept that is missing in our society today. To use a phrase from history, back in the day, if a man got a woman pregnant, he was to marry her. How many remember those days? Well, some people still feel very strongly about that today, and there is a strong underlying thought behind this opinion. If a man seduces a virgin, and virgin here in the context of a young marriageable lady, and she consents to his sexual oncomings, the ownership of that young lady was then transferred from her father to the man at that point. As soon as any type of sexual relation took place, there was an ownership transfer that would take place. And so the man was then required to give the bride price and make her his wife. So the phrase back in the day when a man got a woman pregnant was really from a biblical standpoint of saying, you just took from me ownership, something that was mine as a father, and you made it yours by doing this act, and now you must pay the price for it. So it wasn't just the idea, well, you knocked her up, take care of it now. The idea was you made a decision to have a sexual relationship with her, and now it's going to cost you. So secondly, the bride price might have been saved for the woman herself, should the man decide to divorce her, and thus she'd have some sum of money which she could re rely on to survive, or at least for a part of time. But we see examples of this in Genesis 24, verse 53, where Isaac gave Rebekah silver and gold. And it was probably better referred to as a wedding price. 
So it was given in one of two ways. Either the family was to receive a bridal price, the price of a virgin's worth in silver, or, and that would sometimes be given to a father for the years of preparation for this day, or money would be given to the lady to set aside for the day that may come or may not come where a divorce might take place. So there's always... There have always been men around who have enjoyed the pleasures but not the responsibilities of a sexual relationship. And this is seen in our culture every day. I mean, how often do we turn the TV on and this idea of just living together is just commonplace? It's just, it is what it is. It's just the standard quo now that we can live together for several years and have a relationship uh, that is sexual in nature and the benefits of that without having the responsibilities and the commitment of marriage. And that's, of course, unbiblical. So, however, sexual relationship outside of marriage should not be separated from a covenant commitment. And that's why we say oftentimes as we come before a body of believers in a marriage ceremony that this is a commitment before God and man, Right? And that this relationship is going to picture and model the relationship between Christ and his bride. And so it is a covenant relationship, a covenant commitment. So if a man seduced a woman into sex, he had to give the bride price and marry her according to the law. On the contrary, a woman's father had the right to refuse the marriage. But the man still had to give the bride price. So just because dad says no doesn't mean you are out of the consequence you're still paying the price, the bride price. So, well, why is that? Well, the bride price had to be paid because you took from her something that she can never regain, and that's virginity. And the man is never let off the hook. In the circumstances, the woman no longer being a virgin might be viewed as damaged goods in the sight of the cultural standpoint. And so for that, stand, for that circumstance... A price had to be paid. So the young woman would still have the bride price money to fall back on if it were given to her. So these laws were ultimately designed to promote godly patterns for marriage and sex in that order. Even though that's not what we see in our culture today. Oftentimes we see people living together, enjoying the benefits of a marriage relationship without the commitment of a marriage relationship. And that's of course unbiblical. But God, because God is a pure and, and holy, men should seek to be pure and holy in this area as well. So how does this culturally fit into our life today? The principles are still good to follow. Amen? That was awfully weak. Amen? Thank you. The principles are still there. These principles have not changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The biblical process is relationship, friendship relationship, then marriage, and then sexual relationship. So the principles are still good to follow, but I believe that it is better not to marry after these circumstances and to avoid a possible bad marriage. And this has been the debate for years, and at least in my lifetime, is that back in the day there was a price to pay, and you married the woman, but oftentimes that was a marriage not created out of love, and oftentimes it would end in divorce. So it's better to marry because you love someone rather than out of obligation. There's quite a debate over that. Under normal circumstances, a man should seek not only the permission to marry a man's daughter, but also the blessing of his parents. 
I think that's so important. Do you have a parent's blessing? Um, I remember very clearly, um, I only dated, don't laugh, my kids. I didn't date a lot in high school. Um, what I noticed in high school was the proverbial, these five and these five, and about every three months they rotated. And I didn't want to get into that. And so uh, I chose not to date in high school other than just going in big crowds. And so uh, I knew that I had four years of college in front of me. I knew that I, had, I was going into ministry, and I, would, I chose to wait until I found someone that I thought would make a great help me for ministry. And uh, I still know my five things that I wanted. And uh, lived, you know, God gave me all five of those. But I remember the very first person that I asked out on a date. It happened to be the same weekend that my mom was up at our college campus. And I asked uh, my mom, so what do you think of uh, so-and-so? No. You don't even know her. Don't need to know her. I said no. Okay. It was that simple. Boom, done. It was, literally was that simple. And then Dawn came along, and I say, thank you, God, um, for many reasons. But, you know, here's the deal. Yeah, you can read between the lines there. Um, I wanted somebody who loved God. I wanted somebody who loved God. That was my first requirement. Secondly, I wanted somebody who would love their father. Because I honestly believe that if they love their father, they would transfer that love to me. Number three, I wanted somebody who uh, wanted children. Because I wanted to have children. Number four, I wanted somebody who would be musically inclined because everybody knows that a pastor has to have a wife who's musically inclined. Just a given. And then the bonus and the icing on the cake was she had to be from the South. Boom. Check. Got it. Don't ask me why, but those were the five and God gave them to me. But the process of understanding that God wants a relationship with himself first. And then with somebody. And then the family begins. It's amazing how often that guys were great at blaming women for how they dress and how we think. But guys' actions are just as detrimental at times. Um, every once in a while, throughout the summer months, I don't know how this happens. I don't know why it happens. But for some reason, there's like this instinct when somebody's in our church parking lot. It is what it is. And uh, so I'm sitting there going, okay, somebody's, no, that's just Paul's car. Oh, wait a minute, that's not Paul's car. Every summer we got to chase kids out of here who are, and I'm just thinking to myself, really, that's the picture of love that we want to start our relationship out with? Parking in the back of a church parking lot? Yeah, it happens every summer here. And I'm thinking to myself, you got no more respect than that. And that's probably the type of husband you'll be as well. Guys, let's honor Christ in this area. So, how does this live out? Be a picture of Christ in his relationship to the church. Not only that. There are also, in the next couple of verses, verses 18, 19, and 20, uh, laws deserving capital punishment, should they be broken. Verse 18 says, You must not allow a sorceress to live. Whoever has a sexual intercourse with an animal must be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any gods except the Lord alone is to be set apart for destruction. So each of these crimes involved a false worship, and they demanded a penalty of death should they be broken. 
So number one, a sorcerer, according to Philip Graham Ryken, someone who tried to gain spiritual power through demonic influence who claimed supernatural knowledge or power which was used to influence the gods or cast a magic spell should be put to death. Let me say it one more time. Someone who tried to gain spiritual power through demonic influence who claimed supernatural knowledge or power which was used to influence the gods or to cast magic spells should be put to death. And this was also reiterated in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27. And they were forbidden in Israel. Sorcery is a sin as the one who uses a sorcerer has failed to place his faith and trust in God. So they're trying to find, once again, a shortcut to get the power of God in their life. So sorcerers were to be put to death. Number two, the second crime deserving death was that of bestiality. Um, and that is basically sex with an animal. Um, it's an abomination. According to author John McKay, he writes, In Scripture this is condemned as a perversion because it is flagrant disregard for the Scripture and order that God has endowed on creation. God developed a perfect creation. And to ruin it um, should be worthy of penalty. Bestiality is also dangerous as is proven, at least in some cases, to cause dangerous diseases. It's just a sick thing that some people engage in. And Moses was also told that such acts defile you and you should not commit these, Leviticus 18, 23, and 24. So it was once again condemned by God. And the third crime that God was said was deserving of death was that of idolatry, which included the offering of sacrifices to pagan gods. Idolatry was considered to be the act of rebellion against God, and the one who does this was to be destroyed. It was to be set aside for destruction. You say, well, man, I'm glad I don't do that. I'm glad I'm not in any of these categories. I say, well, I'm certainly not a sorcerer. I certainly don't take, engage in wrong sexual activity. But what about idolatry? Think about it for a moment. What if we were in Moses' group, underneath the auspice of Moses, and remember this. Let's go back and do a little bit of review. Way back in the beginning of the book of Exodus, one of the things that we learned about the children of Israel was this. They had been underneath Pharaoh's bondage for so long that the Egyptian culture had infiltrated the children of Israel's culture. And some of the children of Israel began to worship as their own gods, the gods of Egypt. Remember this? And one of the reasons he wanted to pull them out of, out of Egypt was to set them apart so that they could begin to worship me again, God said say, well, that's them. That's not me. What's your flavor? Is it your car? Is it your job? Is it your house? Is it your hobby? We've said this many times that anything that we give more time and attention to has the possibility of becoming an, an idol in our life. It may not be a god small g that we are bowing down and worshiping but it could be any number of things it could be money it could be a relationship it could be almost anything that we give more time and attention to it has the potential of becoming an idol in our life and he said idols are shortcuts idols make me feel good they, they, they take the place of the one and only true God so these three laws, these crimes that God instituted, um, these laws spoke of the nation of Israel 
are all too common in our day as well. Today there are more than 500,000 people who claim to be Wiccans here in America. 500,000 people who claim to be Wiccans. That means that they practice witchcraft in America. Hollywood continues to promote movies that allow children and adults alike to fantasize about supernatural powers that come as a result of witchcraft. The vampire movies that are all too present that fantasize about power and strength and position. In some parts of the country, you can still get a poem reading or a fortune telling. And they say, well, it's just entertainment. Mm, some people it is. Other people it's real. And these things have crept into the lives of many Christians who have barely even noticed it. So we must be on our guard. So what should be our response to these circumstances today? Obviously, we're not going to implement the death penalty as a church, right? Um, we're not going to do that. So if you know, you're involved in idolatry, don't worry. I'm, we're not going to set up a church inquisition. But here's two things I think we need to consider. Number one, we need to remember why these laws were given. To protect the purity of worship to holy, righteous God in the community of faith. God had design. God had order. And only within those orders is there complete obedience to God. And secondly, we need to uphold these principles in God's church with his people. And Philip Graham Riken suggests that when a person within the church commits such heinous sins and is unrepentant of them, they need to be put out of the church as God's honor demands faithful exercise of his discipline. And that's, once again, something that doesn't happen a lot in churches across America today. Church discipline. Yet it's a biblical thing. And yet the purpose behind it is what? To restore what God has designed as perfect. To design a, a, a setting to where He is glorified, to where He is honored in all. And that relationship that we are to have with God should be honored and protected. So the first part of church discipline is reconciliation, restoration. And the idea behind that is that there is a bone that is broken, and the bone that is broken needs to be set, and then a cast put on it so that it can begin to heal correctly. And once that cast is taken off, full strength, full movement is restored. Full usefulness is restored. So the bottom line is restoration is the first step. That's what we desire. Reconciliation is what we desire. There want to be a close relationship that resembles a relation between Jesus Christ and his Father, and between that and the church. So when these things are present, they need to be dealt with. So how do we deal with it as a church? Sometimes we have to deal with church discipline. And so we need to honor that. I don't know about you, but when I read some of these things, I think to myself, why in the world did he mention these things? The very fact that he mentions them presupposes the fact that they were issues that they had to deal with. That someone would actually practice sorcery? Yep. That somebody would actually have sex with an animal? Yep. Yep. That somebody would actually have false idols? Yep. Because they were there, they have to be dealt with. You ever gotten a toy for one of your kids? And on the package somewhere it says it is harmful for these things to go into the ears and nose and mouth of a child? Why do you think they put that on there? Because somebody did it. 
And somebody at that company that made it got a phone call about it. He's putting this here because it is a problem. You say, well, the first one may not be mine. The second one may not be mine. But what about idolatry? Men, what about our thought life? Because God's word goes so far in the New Testament to say he that even thinks about doing these things is guilty. So I think sometimes we need the reminders that, hey, God has a plan. And his plan is to walk in obedience. And his plan is to live holy and righteous. And when we do that, we have his blessings. And without it, we're missing. I want his blessings. I want the relationship blessings of walking in fellowship with him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. And we thank you for your goodness to this word. We thank you for the fact that we can come before you. And Lord, that we can look at your word and apply it to our hearts and our lives. Lord, we realize that, yes, this is the book of the covenant that Moses put together for the children of Israel. Lord, we realize that there are principles all throughout it that are found cross-reference throughout the New Testament. And I pray, God, that we might heed these warnings, that we might apply them to our hearts and our lives, Lord, that we might walk in fellowship with you. And Lord, I realize that the context is different than what we live in today. But Lord, the principles are the same. So work in our hearts, Lord. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just a, a simple opportunity to respond to what we've heard today. Guys, I think a challenge for us as men is to keep our minds pure. Keep our actions holy and righteous before God. Keep our thoughts where they need to be and not do those things that would defile the opposite sex, but at the same time honor God in the process.